You're listening to In It Together, a podcast curated by the Ride Out Lyme Health and Wellness team. I'm Brandy Dean, founder and president of Ride Out Lyme, and our mission is raising funds to help those impacted by Lyme and other tick-borne diseases pay for their treatments. This In It Together podcast is an offering not just for those with Lyme disease, but for anyone struggling in any way and looking for hope and inspiration. Join us for heartfelt conversations about what gets us through as we walk our journeys. No matter where you are or what your situation is, our team here at Ride Out Lime want you to know that we are right there with you behind you all the way. Amanda Dahl, welcome to the In It Together podcast, friend. Such a gift to know you. So you are a holistic health consultant and master energy healer, and you're in remission from Lyme. And you bring a unique perspective as someone who has experienced Lyme plus as the patient, a spouse, and a mother. So you have seen it all, my friend. Plus, you've worked with so many clients and course, we probably can't get into them too much because of HIPAA and all of that. But right. But you, the point is that you have a very rich and robust perspective on this topic. And we're talking today about how Lyme and co-infections can really affect the family and how we can navigate that with the values and wisdom that you bring to the world. So welcome. Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be with you today. Yay. Okay. So what Do you wish someone had shared, like if if you could give the wisdom that you wish someone had given to you, Mm. maybe, what what might that look like going into that whole journey when you're fresh and green and had no idea what was next, what was coming for you? Oh gosh. Well, it took 18 years for us to get a diagnosis. So I've thought about this question before and I'm like, I don't even know at what point right? Because there were different turning points that if I had had knowledge, I could have said, Hey, investigate this. Hey, look into this because, you know, I was falling apart in different ways that I don't necessarily think was Lyme, but I think it was because of the Lyme and the Lyme was undiagnosed. So I guess my biggest piece of advice would be to They always tell you to think horses, not zebras, right? When you're talking to a doctor, that's what they're taught in medical school. They're always taught to pick the most obvious thing that it would probably be. They're not taught to look for rare conditions. So the the expression in medical world is think horses, not zebras. And for me, I grew up in a medical background. I've always been a patient since I was born. So I, you know, I grew up being able to describe at four years old what a ventricular septal defect was in the heart. (laughs) So, you know, I always had that background and I, and I understood the whole think horses, not zebras. But I think if I had to go back and tell myself all over again what to do, I'd say, no, also pay attention to the zebras because I think that that really would have served me and my family had I done that from the beginning. 
I'm assuming that's where the zebra imagery for the rare yes. community comes in. That makes yes. a lot of, I never understood the story yeah. behind that. It makes sense. They don't really explain that too much, but in med school, that's what they teach. Med students think horses, not zebras. So zebras yeah. kind of became the picture for rare conditions. And uh, yeah, that's where that came from. Ah. Yeah. Learn something new every day. So, yes. <laughs> okay. So we have this 18 year journey where you're going, what's going on? And I imagine you were sprinkled with many diagnoses along the way, just not perhaps one that really captured it and allowed you to start treating and and healing ultimately. So if we're focusing on the family, because I've heard so many great interviews with you on these topics, and I would encourage if anyone wants to hear more about the nitty gritty of that journey, I mean, they should search you and or your husband, I would think on podcasts, because there are so many, right? Like Tick Bootcamp is super in detail. And you've been on a lot. You've been on quite a few. I have. I actually, I made a playlist on Spotify of all the podcast episodes that we've been on. So if anybody wants that link, just hit me up (laughs) or go to my uh, links in Instagram because the link is in there. But yeah, because I was starting to lose track of which ones I had been on. Yeah. Very smart. Okay. So let's, <laughs> let's dive into what hasn't been covered yet. The uncharted yes. territory. Yes. Um, do you think there's anything about being a patient mom and spouse that gives you a particularly unique perspective? I do because I think sometimes when you're the only one in your family unit who is going through what you're going through, I think we have a tendency to put on that brave face sometimes, right? Like we don't always let our pain be known because, you know, we kind of tough it out a little bit because we don't want to ruin everybody else's day or everybody else's good time, you know, different things like that. We mask what we're going through, even with our families sometimes. And I think that what gave me such an interesting perspective is that we all kind of agreed, like we're in this together. So let's just be real about the whole thing. If we're having a bad day, let's be honest, especially where I was caregiving in the beginning, my husband and my son started treating first. And because I've always had a little bit of a feel for medical things, I was the one that kind of took the reins and said, I'll start treating last. We've got to get somebody, you know, back to some semblance of health before I jump in. Plus my case was a little bit different. I I'm allergic to several antibiotics. And in the East Coast, even the naturopaths were largely antibiotic based. Now, I want to be clear, I'm not against antibiotics, but my my path was going to have to be different because of that. And the the naturopath was like, gee, no antibiotics. Well, um, let's start by balancing your hormones and looking at your gut and, and doing those kinds of things first which were things that I could do while my husband and my son were doing courses of antibiotics. So that made it very tricky, but it also was good in the sense that then I could help them to navigate, you know, making a a med list of what they were going to be taking every day and doing pill boxes. I mean, I started doing pill boxes weekly for everybody in the family in 2013, and I still sit down every Friday afternoon and take out all the things and do everybody's pillbox. Not because we're all still in treatment anymore, but because it's just a habit. It just keeps things very organized. (laughs) So that's been kind of my role in, in this whole thing. And I think 
it gives a lot of perspective because we're being real about not feeling great. You know, we were, we were very open about it because that was how we knew, okay, you know, you're herxing or you're having a flare, you know, it was like, you had to communicate about it so that we knew how to help each other out. So I think that gives a different perspective than somebody who is the only one in their family unit who is going through this, because then largely they have to be the ones to advocate for themselves, even to their family unit, because their family doesn't have that understanding of what it actually feels like inside. You know, they can look at their family member and feel terrible and wish that there was more that they could do, but they don't have that firsthand knowledge of what the person is going through. And we all did for each other. That is so interesting. And I wouldn't have thought about that. Yeah. And he reminded me of my mom because she sorted my supplements when I was in college for a little while. And then after I graduated, we transferred that responsibility over to me, but I'm so grateful for her support. And it's nice that you were able to support your family. It's a lot. It can, it can be a lot. Especially if there's a change. Yeah. Or especially well, if you're pulsing or if you have a, an outside of the house job or activity, you know, because then you get to haul stuff with you. It's like, there's a lot to navigate when you're taking supplements four to seven times a day. Yeah. Well, and with brain fog and and mine was labeled like this one is two hours before food. This one is away from food. I mean, Mm -hmm. and it's, it's, it's a lot of, I don't want to say math because it's not exactly math, but it's, it's, it is science and application in your life. I mean, it is very complicated. It absolutely is. And I, you know, I always say to my clients, like you will have an honorary PhD by the end of all this. You you just do, you accumulate so much knowledge, you know, you learn all these different, you know, not just pharmaceuticals, but also, you know, herbs and and different supplements. Like you learn all the ins and outs of how to take them by the end of this journey. So it's a lot. (laughs) It's definitely a lot. (laughs) It is a lot. Yeah. So for those who aren't familiar with your story, how old was your son when a diagnosis was obtained? (sighs) I want to say he was eight, I think eight or nine. And, you know, it's like, it's starting to be off in the distance because he's 18 now. It was 2013. So I guess that was nine that he got his diagnosis, but, you know, several, several of the doctors that we've worked with, they all diagnosed him interestingly with Lyme induced autism. And he had traits of autism even when he was in the womb, for those who are familiar with autism and the hand flapping, he was hand flapping like during ultrasounds. And I remember one day the tech saying, oh, isn't that cute? He's waving to you. And my husband and I looked at each other and we were like, uh-huh, because my mom was, she's a retired nurse, but for a while she was doing some nanny work for a family who had a child with autism and he did hand flapping. And my son was doing it the exact same way in the womb. And so I always thought that that was very interesting. But with that, you know, now we understand sexual transmission of Lyme disease, which they're finally starting to put documentation out there about that. You know, what so many of us who have Lyme throughout our family unit have already suspected for years, they're finally starting to say, yes, there is strong evidence of sexual transmission. But my son, you know, the doctors that we worked with also said they feel that he experienced a reactivation. You know, he didn't get Lyme when he was nine years old. That was just when he was diagnosed. But they believe that he had it 
all along. And then there was a reactivation through a tick bite that he had because he was having some things that were showing up that were more on the chronic side. And then some things were showing up acute. So they were like, this isn't all acute. Some of this was already there. So that's, you know, what led to our diagnosis ultimately, because, you know, the naturopath that we were working with, and I had never worked with a naturopath before. We had always worked with conventional medicine doctors. And this naturopath said, how has your health been looking at myself and my husband? And we knew right away, we were like, "Mm." (laughs) we get where this is going because we had been fighting to get, you know, even Lyme testing. And we had, you know, we both had Igenex tests, but you know, that you had to have, I think at the time, five positive bands and we each had four and the doctor, you know, our primary care doctor had very begrudgingly agreed to sign for Igenex testing for us. But then when the naturopath looked at those results, she said, yeah, well, there's smoke, there's fire. You need to be treating for Lyme disease. You have Lyme disease. So it was, you know, talk about in it together, right? Like my son gets, he not only got a diagnosis of autism at nine, because we, you know, we homeschooled. So we didn't need to worry about getting accommodations for school and things like that. So he not only got the diagnosis of autism, but he also got his official diagnosis of Lyme at that time, which ultimately led to us being able to get a diagnosis. So 2013 was a huge year because on top of that, when my husband and my son started treating with antibiotics, my son actually had an allergic reaction to one of the antibiotics and woke up at 630 in the morning, pounding his chest, telling me he couldn't breathe. So, you know, we had to rush him to the emergency room and it was just, it was a whole very scary ordeal. We almost lost him. And so, you know, Lyme just, it takes and it takes and it takes, doesn't it? Yeah. So thankfully he's okay. Wow. Ooh, it's a lot. I know, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. What do you feel Lyme has taken? And I'd actually love to look at both sides of the coin. Like, what do you think Lyme has taken and given to your family? It's taken a lot. I think anybody with this condition can relate. It took 18 years of my life. You know, I, we started feeling sick in our early twenties. My husband and I have been together for a long time. You know, we met in high school, started dating when we were 20, we're 46. So we've been together for a while and it took all of those years where, you know, people would go out dancing or, you know, be out till two o'clock in the morning with friends doing all of those kinds of young person things we were never the people that could do that. Like people would joke around with us like, oh, what are you going home to watch the Golden Girls? And it was like, well, as a matter of fact, we are because we were so sound sensitive and, you know, we just, it it just, it robbed a lot of those kinds of experiences from us. It robbed my son having a childhood with parents who were healthy because he has never, you know, up until we hit remission and, and then after I hit remission, I started having a lot of heart problems that resulted in an open heart surgery in 2018, which was actually my second open heart surgery. But I remember I said to my son, before I went in for my surgery, I said, I'm so sorry because you've never known me as a healthy person. And I'm really hoping that after I have this operation and I heal from this operation, I will be a healthy person. 
and you will be able to see your mother as a healthy person because he never knew me as a healthy person. I barely remembered myself as a healthy person. So it robbed that, it robbed those kinds of experiences. Seeing what it has taken from my son has been horrific. You know, just seeing the different things that he went through because of his Lyme. And he does have things now that are residual of Lyme. He has issues with his knees. He has a tremor. And those things are tricky for him to navigate. You know, he just had a a total knee reconstruction surgery on one side, and he's going to be going for the other side in the coming months. You know, these are things that Lyme has taken. What keeps us going, I think, is that we celebrate each and every moment in between all of those big things. We celebrate and we make sure to go and have any experiences that we can now because we can't change what Lyme took, but we can change how we move forward. I don't want to move forward in anger and frustration. And, you know, I feel that there's a time for that, but not when it comes to spending time with my family. So, you know, advocacy work is how I'm going to take my anger about the situation and turn it into change, I hope. And I think that your next question is probably going to be, what did it give you, right? What Mm -hmm. did Lyme give you? I think Lyme gave me, I won't speak for my family. I'll speak for myself. I think it gave me an incredible amount of empathy, you know, to really understand what not just Lyme patients go through, but anybody with a complex chronic condition, what they go through. And I was able to take all of that and turn it into being able to help other people. So it, I hate to sound crass and say, oh, it gave me a career, but I mean, it gave me, it did give me kind of a career, but it, it, it gave me a way to turn all of this into a purpose to help other people. Because I don't think that a lot of people, because they don't have other people in the family unit with this. They don't always have some of that knowledge of what to do when things are getting tough. And, you know, I documented a lot of things while we were going through that. And, you know, so that I could go back on that and say, okay, how can I use this to help other people? So I think it gave me a lot of empathy, a lot of drive to be able to help others with this. And it also gave me this ability to navigate myself away from people who operate in high drama, Mm. you know, like people that they sweat all the small stuff and they just have no idea how hard life can really be. You know, sometimes people call them, I think like first world problems, right? And it doesn't mean that it's not a problem for them. Okay. But it's just, you know, when people are acting like it's the end of the world for some of the things when I'm thinking, well, you know, I talked to a client today who just found out she's got to be in a wheelchair for the rest of her life. It's like, where's the perspective here? (laughs) You know, people upset about, you know, not being able to get the luxury car they want or something. It's like perspective. I think that's what it gave me, you know, the ability to just really be able to say, okay, who do I want to surround myself with? I want to surround myself with people who understand that, you know, ultimately we all want to feel seen, heard, and loved. And that's the most important thing. Those are the people that I I want around me, the people who understand that. 
Absolutely. And on the outside looking in, it does appear that purpose is so fitting because you mentioned a career. And I mean, you had a career before. I mean, based on what I've heard, sure. You did some cool things professionally. Uh, It just seems that this is a very purpose filled. Yeah. It's so much more in alignment with different things that I had done before. I mean, working in health insurance, oh, you want to talk about a soul draining job, you know, and when you're somebody with empathy. You know, I was the person that when you called that 800 number on the back of your insurance card, you'd get me. And, you know, just, I didn't like the fact that if somebody called in and they had kind of a complex issue, which I tended to identify those people right away, like, oh, there's a big error in how your claims are being processed, right? We weren't supposed to take the time and like dig in. We were, we were almost trained to be like lawyers and just answer with one word responses, you know, to like get people off the phone. I mean, they literally said your job is to get people off the phone. You have to handle each call in four minutes or less. Oh my God. And it was just, that did not align with me at all. But, you know, I was there for five years. I worked really hard and I, I learned so much about the insurance, that whole maze appeals you know, what they're looking for in appeals, what you need for documentation. If you're going to do an appeal, you know, the different levels of appeals, you know, I really learned a lot about that, which comes in so handy with my life now. And then from there, I went and I worked in a hospital as the office manager of two programs. So I gained a lot of knowledge about how the healthcare system works from like the, you know, the conventional medicine side. So, you know, those were the the last two things that I did before taking a few years off to, you know, cause I, my son's always been homeschooled and we did some homeschooling and things like that. And then that's when I started my business a little bit after that. But I mean, before that, you know, like I mentioned before, I'm 46. So that was only 10 years between those two jobs. So I I did other things before that, but everything has tied together to bring me to this moment. And this is like in alignment with my purpose. And I mean, I love, I love what I do because I feel like somebody needs to be there for all of these people who don't have people in their homes who understand the day to day. So big feeling like no one understands the Lyme journey in the day-to-day. And I never want to be negative about that. It's just, it's interesting for me to think about how different that would be with everyone in your household going through that. And I mean, how would you support others with their family systems based on your experience? Well, a lot of times in the beginning, if I'm working with somebody who, you know, feels alone in their family unit. I just try to tell them like, it's okay if that's how things are right now. Because I think a lot of times, like when we have a chronic illness, we feel like we want everybody to understand what we're going through. And if we think about ourselves before we had a chronic illness ourselves, if you weren't born with one or got one at a very young age, right? You might think back to what you would have thought if somebody had started telling you about Crohn's disease. Right. Like the information would have kind of gone in. There would have been some empathy 
And maybe your brain would have kind of registered a couple facts and then it would go out the other side. You know what I mean? Like, but it wouldn't have become our crusade. And I think that one of the things that sometimes people that are in this need to understand is like, it's not that people don't love us and it's not that people don't care about us, but it's very hard for somebody to understand if they don't have that situation going on themselves. Mm -hmm. Even family, it's so hard for some family to understand. And then, you know, a lot of times, a lot of times I hear that the moms are kind of dismissive sometimes mm -hmm. with daughters. It's a, it's a very interesting connection that sometimes happens. Like the mothers are kind of dismissive of the daughters going through it. So there's always a lot of family dynamic going on there. You know, so in the beginning, I tell people like, it's okay. It's not your responsibility to educate everybody about all of the different aspects of this because you're still trying to understand how to live with this yourself. So let's take that pressure off, right? Let's just let yourself be, let yourself breathe. You know, it will come. All of that part will come. You know, the focus is being spread across too many different things. Well, I've got to educate all these people and I've got to, you know, a lot of times we feel, what are we going to do about the doctors that aren't Lyme literate that we have to see? Like, well, we have to educate them too. And, you know, plus we've got to educate ourselves about the different treatments and all the different things that are out there. And it's like, back up. The only person that you need to worry about right now is you, right? Not what everybody else is thinking and doing. And that is a breath of fresh air for a lot of people because they feel like there's a responsibility that they have to do all these different things. And it's like in the beginning, absolutely not. <laughs> you know, like, let's just get a handle on your treatments and, you know, what your general rhythm of the day is going to be, mm -hmm. um, you know, and kind of go from there. And, you know, when I'm working with people, I'm working with them in the beginning, usually weekly. So they've got somebody and I tell them, you know what, write down all your questions and anything. If you need to cry, if you need to scream and you want to do it with somebody, you can do it with me on our call. Like, cause I get it and we can cry together because it absolutely sucks what you're going through, you know? And sometimes they just need somebody to say that, that I'll be there to cry and scream with. Because when we do that with people who don't get it, it kind of freaks them out and they feel helpless in a sense. And they're like, I don't know what to do. Sometimes you need to say like, I'm here and I totally understand. And you can cry and scream with me and it's okay. It means a lot to people. I love that permission that you don't have to figure all out at once. And no. I would have benefited from conversations about family and friends and navigating all of that in the early diagnosis phase, because there are still things that come up that I go, this is weird. I don't know how to handle this in our personal yeah. communication about this experience, much less so now, but it's, it still comes up is the point. And yeah. it was really prevalent for probably the first three years. I mean, there are so many things I look back on and think, wow, that really impacted that relationship. And there was a lot of miscommunication and misunderstanding and it's tricky. I, I saw someone post something the other day about something totally unrelated to illness, but I thought it was so well said. They said, here's what's going on. If I seem flaky or distant or take longer to reply to you, 
you know, it's okay. I just wanted to let you know what's going on. Um, mm. thanks for your grace. And I went, you know, we should like, I should post that or share that every time something happens. Right. And of course the challenge with invisible illness is that it goes on for years and years and years and years. So it's a little easier to get that grace when it's maybe one to three months. I mean, it's still really hard. I mean, it's always hard, but yeah. And it's hard for, like you said, if someone hasn't had that experience, it's hard for them to remember and understand how they could go on for five, 10, 15, 40 plus years. I mean, for some people it is like this long experience, like, wait, you're still going through that. You're, what do you mean? (laughs) Like that's not resolved. But I, I wish I had known to say to folks, Hey, I wish I knew how to communicate my needs to you. I wish I knew how to communicate accommodations and how you can support me and how I'm struggling. Oh, but quite, quite frankly, this is also new uncharted territory for me and I have no idea. Right. And so, and it made a lot of interpersonal exchanges really messy because I mm-hmm. was a mess and I, yeah. it's just part of the process. Yeah, it absolutely is. And I think, I think what makes it harder too is, you know, Lyme isn't a sexy chronic illness to have, (laughs) you know? So I have a friend, I think it's a mutual friend who has cancer. Mm -hmm. And when she posts about her, and she doesn't make the post just about her cancer because that's not the kind of person that she is, but it's unbelievable the things that people write that are so beautiful and supportive on every post. But if people post that same thing and they're like, I have Lyme disease and they post a picture of them sitting, you know, getting an IV treatment or just some of the pictures that we've all seen, right. To try to give some kind of visual of their illness. You don't get that same response. Mm -mm. And it just, it makes it so hard because you know, why are we almost celebrating the hero that people with some medical conditions are, but other people, you know, when you look at some of the things that are said about people with Lyme disease, right? You know, there's a group on the internet, they call people with Lyme disease, Lyme loonies. Mm -hmm. You know, there are physicians that secretly refer to people as Lyme loonies. And you know, when I found that out, I was furious. I'm like, how in the world, you know, but there are a lot of people out there that, that troll people that post information about Lyme disease. Krista Nanos, do you follow Krista Nanos? Oh, I love Krista Nanos. She was was in the play. Yes, that's right. I'm sorry. Yes, of course. Well, you know, Krista posting on Instagram, I think it was last week or the week before that, you know, this troll came onto one of her posts and just started ridiculing people with Lyme disease. And it's like, you know, and she was like actually posting like the actual screenshot of what the person was saying. It's like, there are people out there that just sit there and pick on people with chronic health conditions. And it just seems like they really take it out on people with Lyme disease. And, you know, when you're in it with Lyme disease, it doesn't take long when you're researching to find all of the information about the huge disconnect in the healthcare community when it comes to people with Lyme disease, right? There's this division, you know, just one more thing in this world that we have division about, right? <laughs> but, you know, uh, no, it, it takes longer than four to six weeks of, you know, an oral antibiotic to get better from Lyme disease. But that's what a lot of the medical community believes. Mm-hmm. So, 
I've always found that to be a little bit, a little bit maddening that some diseases are like, oh, you're such a hero. Of course they are. But then Lyme disease is like, you're a lunatic. (laughs) It's like, really? Well, you know, it just, it doesn't ring the same to people when people say they have Lyme disease. People are like, oh, I'm sorry. Or they just don't say anything or there's ridicule. It's, It's always been very strange to me. It is strange. And you get hit with you're a lunatic or why are you being such a victim or. Mm-hmm. Or you're still sick. You're still going through that. Like, but with that tone. Yeah. That tone. That. Oh, really? Tone. You're still going through that? It's like, uh, yeah. Chronic conditions don't just go away. That's why they're <laughs> called chronic. Chronic. Uh-huh. Right. Right. Yeah. I want to sit with that for a second because. It's amazing. You know, earlier, like you said, it's maddening. It is maddening. And I tend to forget because I'm a little removed from it now, being years in, being much closer to remission. My social circle has totally changed. So I'm not really connected to people who treat me that way anymore. And also a lot of those relationships we've reconciled, we've healed, we've worked, like some of them have, we've parted ways and some of them we've worked through it. Right. And really writing and sharing the play helped that a lot. Friends Mm -hmm. who, even my best friends who were supportive came back and said, wow, I had no idea what that was like for you. Exactly. Yep. And the play really opened their eyes. And I was surprised how much love I received afterwards. I thought, wow, I, I thought we were, you know, I, this is unexpected love that I'm receiving now. How awesome. And of course that's the goal of the piece or one of them anyway. And Every once in a while, though, I find out a friend of a friend or someone who's maybe a degree of separation, but still connected to my life is trashing me. And I think, goodness gracious, like, how are we not past this? And it's nuts because sometimes like I've heard from a lot of patients, oh, you can, you know, those are the people that you can just love and let go, release them from your life. Like you don't need to have that energy. I'm like, yeah, sometimes it's like someone closely connected to someone that I'm closely connected to. And there's that degree of separation, but they're still around and I can't really just like release them. (laughs) Well, right. And the thing too, because, you know, I'm into the energy healing world and all of those, you know, sparkles and unicorns and all that jazz. However, it's very important not to bypass our feelings about, you know, when we find out that somebody has said something about us or trashed us, it hurts. We're human beings. You know, we have to allow ourselves to say, oh, wow, I can't believe that person said that about me. You know, that really hurts. You know, there may be some anger. I mean, that's part of the process of, you know, working through our feelings is being able to acknowledge those things. So, you know, yeah, I mean, love and light, that's a beautiful theory, but at some stage, before being able to get to that point, you have to have learned how to process that. And sometimes, you know, toward the end, you're processing it very quickly. You're like, oh gosh, another one of those people. Well, bye, see you later. And it's easier to let them go. But, you know, you touch on a very important group of people in the lives of people that have chronic health conditions. And those are the people that just kind of, they just kind of drift away. And those are the people that don't know what to say right? They just don't know what to do. They don't know what to say. And, you know, if you're listening to this and you're one of those people who maybe you're listening and you don't necessarily have a chronic condition, but you're supporting somebody with a chronic condition, even if it's from afar and you're not actually speaking to that person right now, just saying to a person who's going through this, I'm sorry that you're going through this. 
I don't have words. I don't know what to say, but I'm sorry. And I'm, I'm here. Right. Because I think a lot of times people drift because they don't know what to say. They don't know what to do. So it's easier to just give the person going through it space. But the person who's going through it perceives it as, well, they're just walking away from me. They've just disappeared from my life, right? They have fallen out of my life. A lot of times, not so. They just don't know what to say. They don't know what to do. So if you're listening and you are that person who has drifted away from somebody with a chronic illness, you have no idea how much it means for that person to get a text to say, I know that we haven't spoken in a while. I know that you were going through some hard stuff and I'm not really sure what to say about all of that, but I care about you. I'm sorry that you're going through this. Oh, it means so much, so much to the person who's going through it. It really does. And you shared some beautiful examples of how to word it and even something even simpler, just thinking of you sending you a hug right now. I mean, even that, could bring me to tears a few years ago. Now yeah. I'd be like, thank you so much. That's so sweet. But you know, when I was in the thick of it, like I probably would have cried. Oh yeah. A good cry. A good cry. Oh, yeah. A good cry. A good cry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah just to be extra sure. clear. Yeah. yeah. And like, you know, if someone just says like, Hey, I just, if someone's from a faith background, it was like, Hey, I just had this intuitive sense like to pray for you right now. Mm-hmm. And that happened with somebody that I rarely ever spoke to. And it was like, they sent it at just the right moment. And I was good cry. I was like, oh my gosh, like mm-hmm. I just feel probably took them 30 seconds to send me the text, but it literally meant I, the world. Absolutely. Absolutely. One of the things that I learned while I was going through all this myself was if I have somebody who keeps popping into my mind, mm-hmm. I just send them a message and say, you know, I just want to let you know that you're you're on my heart today. That's it. It's all I send. You know, just just that little reach out to say, thinking about you, even if I'm the one who's going through it, you know, just to send that message back to somebody. Cause I know how much it means to me when mm-hmm. somebody says, you know, Hey, I was thinking about you today. I mean, cause I find people are popping into my head a lot. So, you know, I love to send them a message or when, you know, I haven't heard from some like yesterday <laughs> when I was like, you've been quiet. Like, cause I was thinking about you and I'm like, and when you think about people, you don't realize that you're doing it, but you tend to think, oh, when was the last time that I heard from them? Right. And I realized like I hadn't heard from you in a couple of days. And so I did a reach out. How are you? Right. Imagine how much better the world would be if people would just do a quick little check-in with each other when something, you know, when they haven't heard from them or, you know, when something feels out of the ordinary, I just think it would bridge so much division that's going on. Because a lot of people out there in the world, especially in chronic illness world, they are upset and hurt because they feel abandoned. They feel alone, you know, and I think that it would just mean the world to them to just hear from people, you know, and it would diffuse anger and frustration and, you know, because then that person be like, oh, they didn't know what to say. That's what it is. Absolutely. That connectedness makes such a difference. And I love how you tied in the division in the world right now too, because there is, there is a lot going on globally and there's so much power in loving your neighbor. Right. Mm -hmm. And the more that we all love each other, and I don't want to sound too like, Oh, rainbows and roses and unicorns and just love is all we need. I mean, my love is like 
it's like a lot of what we need, you know? It really is all we need. (laughs) It really is. I mean, food and shelter, they're great. Safety's nice. But yeah, like love, it's so foundational. You know, I, something I'm trying to lean into right now is especially with a lot of the global division is like, keep your friends close and love them and tell them how much you love them and how much you love them through different opinions, right? Like we can have different opinions and we can express them with civility and it takes a lot of courage to do that, Mm -hmm. but it's really important that we continue to love each other and seek to understand each other because the moment we lose that is when we open the door for so much that is the opposite of peace. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I remember, you know, and I'm not going to like jump into politics per se, but, you know, I had somebody who we were talking about politics and we're on different, different, we, we were voting for a different candidate and, you know, we care about each other a lot and we had a beautiful conversation and I was like, can you tell me why you're voting for your candidate? And then she asked me the same of mine. And what was interesting was that you can look at these candidates and the things that we know and and everything, but the things that were important to each of us individually weren't that far apart. We just happened to appreciate how our individual candidates were speaking to that particular issue. It wasn't all the big things that everybody was fighting about. It was like really deeply personal things. And I just, I wish that everybody would be able to have those conversations when they are on differing opinions on not just politics, on anything, on anything, right? Because there's something to be learned no matter what side, I hate to say side, but no matter what side people are on, because in the end, I stand by this every day of my life. What every human being wants is to be seen, heard, and loved. So if we're going to be in it together, right, that's what we all need. Like all of the opinions and all of the things that come into weaving us into the people that we are, that doesn't always matter as much as seeing, hearing, and loving each other and trying to gain understanding as to why somebody feels different than you. You know, and of course, there are some things that are just non-negotiables, right, that make us too far apart. And maybe we just don't want to have anything to do with another person because of those things, right? Because our, our morals and our values are so divided. Okay, but that doesn't mean that we have to hate each other, right? I taught my son, just because you're a rival with somebody doesn't mean that you're an enemy, There's a big difference in those two things. And we were talking about sports when I gave him that analogy. But what was interesting was during the elections, he said, because he has a friend who they were politically different. And he said, mommy, just because we're rivals politically doesn't mean that we're enemies, right? And I'm like, you got it. But that's the thing is like, people think that everything has to be this us and them, right and wrong, black and white. And it's like, No, (laughs) it really doesn't. Just trying to gain better understanding. And that's whether it's chronic illness, politics, world events, no matter what we're going through, if we handle them all with the same grace, the same thirst for knowledge, thirst for understanding, I think that we would be much further along with 
how to navigate some of these things than we are. But everybody feels that their side is the right side and they will fight for that until the bitter end. And and that's not always the answer, right? Sorry, I feel like we went off on a tangent a little bit. I was going to say we went off on an unexpected turn and I think (laughs) it's timely though. I do, especially if we're talking about, you know, being in it together. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So if we were to connect all of that back to navigating Lyme, I mean, what does that look like? I mean, keeping in mind, everyone's going through something and I I don't know, it's tricky. It literally, (laughs) literally this week, a family member of mine was talking about, I don't even know if I should say this. They were talking about how someone came up to them was like, oh, my day is terrible. And they were like, well, you know, you could have been blah, 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 blah. And I was like, no, 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 that's, <laughs> that's not really an empathetic response. I mean, yes, right. you have a point and it's not, it's not the ideal empathetic response. It's a form of being dismissive, but just keep in mind, like we're all coming into this with, first of all, different levels of, I'm going to say training on how to be an empathetic, compassionate person, because sometimes, sometimes the person that says the dismissive thing, they don't mean to be dismissive. They just know. They just don't know that they're being dismissive and how to not be right. They don't know how to respond appropriately. And, you know, I've been on the giving and receiving end of that many times. Yeah, for sure. It's just, we just continue to be trained, right? It's like seek out the learning of how to facilitate better connections. Amanda, I'm just on a ramble here. Would you like to add anything? No, I think you touch on something very important. Going back to people not knowing what to say about mm-hmm. things, right? Like a lot of this is our own emotional intelligence. Not saying that people aren't intelligent. I'm saying, but like that emotional intelligence of being able to navigate tricky conversations and things that bring up a lot of heightened emotion or you know, the way that we respond to things are rooted in what we learned in childhood, right? So if we've got some deficits with how we're navigating certain aspects of relationships, then, you know, those are things that if they are something that you feel you would like to be able to handle better, that's when, you know, you do a coaching program or, you know, watch a particular influential person that you like. You can learn so much from those things. Like one of the things that really in more recent years has really made a huge difference to me was Brene Brown. And, you know, that Netflix special that she has, I think it's called A Call to Courage or it's about courage. And watching that, you know, I've watched it several times. I cry every time because it takes courage to say that, oh gosh, there's something about myself that I would like to change. Or, oh gosh, I've identified something in the world that I want to be a part of the change, right? Like, you know, what makes you feel that you could do something differently that you would be happier with the outcome? Now, if you have dismissive responses to things and you feel strongly that that's a healthy response for you, then great. Because some of us who don't like those responses may have a different outlook. And that's going to be one of the things that we would use to say, is this person somebody that I want to continue to have in my circle? Because, you know, you add up things, you add up different traits of other people to determine if there's somebody that you want to have in your life. And sometimes it's family. So it's a little bit trickier. 
but you know, like I've never liked that. You can't teach an old dog new tricks. I I've always hated that expression. It's like, no, anybody can learn and improve and change if they want to, if they have a desire to, it's never too late to better yourself. We all have things that we could change. If we were all perfect people, we wouldn't be here. Right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Ooh. <laughs> it's a strong end now. I'm like, I don't want to add anything. I just, <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. I, I got a little, whew. yeah. Yeah. Good morning. Good morning or afternoon or evening if someone's listening at a different time, but it's morning for us. And this was a great way to start the day talking with you, Amanda. Thank you. Thank you. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. Are there any last words of wisdom? You're like, I got to squeeze this in. No, I mean, I I think, I think we've covered so much, right? We did. We covered a lot. Unexpected and expected ground. Right. Yeah. 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 I think we always do that when we talk though, don't we? Yeah. (laughs) the best conversation. Absolutely. Amanda, where can our listeners find you? Of course, it will be linked in the show notes, but. Yeah, I hang out a lot on Instagram. My handle is doll holistic health. I'm there every day. And also people can connect with me through my website, which is dollholistichealth.com. Woohoo. Awesome. Thank you. Many thanks once again to our guest and to you, our listeners, for joining us. It means so much to us to share this time with you, and we hope it gave you a boost of strength and encouragement to keep going, no matter where you are, knowing that you certainly are not alone. To learn more about Ride Out Lyme and the In It Together podcast, please visit www.rideoutlyme.org. We love hearing from you. Please also follow us and leave a review so we can keep providing episodes that best support you. Until next time, hold on to the very real hope that there is a way and we will keep finding it together.